Hi, I'm Joel Backen, and this is the Unfortunately Necessary Podcast. Now, you may remember back in the early 2000s, a film called The Corporation, made by Jennifer Abbott, Mark Akbar, and yours truly, and based on my book of the same name. The film and book claimed that corporations were psychopathic institutions, that they were taking over the world, and that in order to save democracy and the planet, we needed to challenge their growing power. Last year, Jennifer Abbott and I released The New Corporation, the unfortunately necessary sequel, also based on a book of mine. The sequel was unfortunately necessary because everything that we talked and worried about in the first film, climate change, social and racial inequality, corporate domination of politics, colonialism, exploitation of workers, of the earth, GMOs, chemical poisons, all of it had gotten worse, much worse. Over the two decades between the two films, the world had moved from being in a state of crisis to being in a state of existential crisis. And now corporations were bigger. They were more powerful, more of a threat to democracy and to society than they'd ever been, especially with the rise of big tech, something that was barely on the horizon in the early 2000s when we made the first film. And yet, despite all of that, while everything was getting worse in the world, while corporations were getting bigger and becoming more powerful, they started to position themselves very deftly, and it really kicked into gear around 2005. They started to position themselves as good actors, as conscientious and caring, no longer psychopathic, as part of the solution to global problems, no longer part of the problem. This new corporation, this is the focus of the latest book and film, and now of this podcast. What we want to do in this podcast is reveal what a profoundly dangerous deception this new corporation really is, how it needs to be and how it is being challenged. So in each episode, we'll take you to another frontier of the growing global movement against corporate power. We'll tell you stories about challengers and challenges as different and diverse as you can imagine, but united by a common cause to stop the corporate takeover of society and to create a just, democratic, and sustainable world. Now, for the first story of this first podcast and for parts or holes of the next few, I want you to indulge me as I follow an old adage, write what you know, because this time I'm going to be the challenger. Well, not just me, but me and three others who you'll soon meet. So let me tell you my story, which is really just beginning. It starts with the film that I just told you about, The New Corporation, actually more specifically the trailer to that film. Because what happened is we tried to promote the film by promoting that trailer on Twitter, but they refused it. They censored it. They said the trailer was, quote, inappropriate, quote, political, quote, sensitive targeting, and that it therefore violated Twitter's policies and it had to be blocked. We asked Twitter on numerous occasions, what is it you don't like about the trailer? Was it the clip from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or from Harvard professor Michael Sandel? 
or activist Vandana Shiva, or the Reverend William Barber, or Greta Thunberg, or Grand Chief Stuart Phillip, all of whom are in the trailer, is it the presence of these thinkers and activists that made you feel you needed to censor us, Twitter? We don't know, because Twitter wouldn't tell us. It's all really weird and really scary. But maybe you, the listener, can figure out why Twitter so adamantly refused to promote this trailer. Here, have a listen. The greed economy is killing us. We are so steeped in this commodification that it's hard to distinguish between being a consumer and being a citizen. Seeing the documentary The Corporation, it opened my eyes. Calling corporations psychopaths absolutely had an impact. Can we take the resources of corporations and get them to focus on the needs of the poorest? There is no such thing as corporate social responsibility. They're literally playing casino with life on Earth. The changes that we fear are coming faster than anybody thought. It's completely out of control. Corporations have figured out there are really big business opportunities in these public sectors. Private schools for the poor is a $51 billion a year market. Take the education system, take the healthcare system. That's a direct threat to democracy. Their reach cannot be underestimated. They know everything about us. If we don't push back, we're going to live in a world in which they are governing us privately through the profit motive. One of the largest corporate bailouts with as few strings as possible in American history. Shameful. Global pandemic. What do we do now? Let's do a tax cut. The pandemic revealed that we need to contain corporate power. The democracy is trying to breathe. We can't breathe because of the weight of poverty is not made. We have not come here to beg world leaders to care. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Are you actually going to challenge the power of corporations? This is what the 2020s will be about. You have to really ask yourself, what was your role in this moment in history? So, okay, we're guilty. We have a point of view. The trailer makes that quite clear. And maybe it's a controversial point of view that corporate power is out of control and it's become an existential threat to democracy and to the planet. But it may be controversial, but isn't it also an important message to deliver today? to generate debate? Doesn't it contribute to the realm of ideas and to democratic dialogue and discourse? I mean, it's not harmful in any way. It's not hate speech. It's not incendiary. It's not false news. Maybe people disagree with it. Likely Twitter disagrees with it. That's to be expected. But does that give Twitter the right to censor it? As I said, we tried to reason with Twitter. We went through their internal complaints procedure. We told them the film was credible. We gave them evidence of it. We showed them it was well-researched and rigorous in its arguments that mainstream broadcasters were running it, that mainstream media were lauding it. We told them all this, but they wouldn't budge. They just kept censoring us. So we were really left with no option but to sue them. Now, fortunately, in my day job, I'm a constitutional lawyer. And fortunately, I know Sujit Chowdhury, another constitutional lawyer who agreed to join me to file a free speech case against Twitter in the Ontario Superior Court. We filed it on behalf 
of two fabulous women, Jen Evans and Kat Dodds, who are partners in a company called Cool World, which is a very cool name for a company. And Cool World was engaged by the new corporation's production company to run a promotional campaign on Twitter. And so it was Cool World that tried to promote the trailer and that was directly rebuffed by Twitter. So they are, and Jen and Kat, are the plaintiffs in this case. And we, Sujit and myself, are the lawyers representing them. Hey, Jen and Kat, it's really nice to talk to you today. Can you tell our listeners what went down when you tried to promote the new corporation trailer on Twitter? Absolutely. Um, Joel, thanks for having us on. Uh, we love talking about this particular incident um, and the window it really shows into what's happening in big tech. Um, so we uh, obviously had a number of different ads um, and it was the one for the trailer that uh, became sort of the flashpoint for the discussion. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with how Twitter works, uh, there's two ways that you can uh, post content on the platform. One is uh, what we'll call organic. Um, you post your 280 character tweet and that goes out to a certain number of your followers. Um, the other is to purchase an ad. And why is it necessary to purchase an ad? Well, that is because Twitter does not give you access to all of your followers. Um, like other platforms, what it has done recently is restrict the access that you have to the people you've built up um, as you're following. Uh, Facebook has done something very similar and it's part of their business model now to charge to access um, your audience. But what that means is that you can, with, if you're not able to um, actually run an ad, as is the case here, you're kind of SOL um, because you have no other way really to reach the people that are following you, much less others who may be interested in your content as well. So what happened with that is we, when we tried to post this ad, we immediately received an automatic reply from Twitter refusing our request and our money, which we thought was pretty outrageous. Um, so we complained uh, through Twitter's internal complaints procedure, and we received another automated reply, this time explaining that, quote, tweets can be disapproved if they are found to violate the Twitter ads policy, unquote. And they provided links to that policy that bars tweets with, quote unquote, sensitive targeting. So we asked them to advise what content was problematic so we could remove it. Twitter replied, quote, our team reviewed your content and confirmed that it violates our political content policy. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I thought the problem was sensitive targeting, not political content. Well, that is the issue because we did not get one single response on what the problem was. We got multiple responses um, that it was not in line with policy, that it was sensitive content, uh, and then some we got no explanation for whatsoever. So it was a bit of a moving target to really understand why Twitter was objecting to the ad. And we still actually don't know what the final issue really was or the originating issue for that matter. Yeah, the whole thing is Kafka-esque. We wrote them back saying the video is a trailer for a documentary film about the abuse of power of corporations, not inherently political in the sense that it is not advocating any candidate or any election or appealing for financial support, votes, or any specific legislative advocacy. But it gets even stranger to that. In reply to our claim that the trailer was not political content, Twitter said, 
Our team manually reviewed your content and confirmed that it violates our inappropriate content policy. So now we have three different and shifting reasons on the table. Um, and then we asked to speak to an actual human being. And we hear back from a Twitter employee, Abigail Scott. But she also says, she says, taking another look, I'm confirming that it seems your tweets have been halted for violating our quote again, sensitive, inappropriate content, as well as our political policy. You, you must have been absolutely infuriated by this, it's the, a major runaround. It was very frustrating. I mean, just not to get an answer and not to get a comprehensible answer and not to be able to run the ad is a circumstance we've never been in before. Um, so to see it continue to escalate and continue to get the same answers was extremely confusing and, and very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we pointed out the documentary has been recognized by mainstream media outlets, along with the documentary film community. Um, all of the creatives involved have a long and esteemed track record in this in this area. Um, there's no way that it could have been considered fringy or harmful or any of these things. Uh, it was partly funded by Canada's largest governmental arts funding partners. So the, the fact that it examines the prevalence of corporate influence on democratic institutions but doesn't advocate for specific outcomes aside from holding corporations accountable, and we get, we get this regardless of whether or not a film is acclaimed or not. This was another quote from them. They said, no matter what, <laughs> if the film is acclaimed or not, or whether it's a documentary, the same policy must be adheres to, adhered to. Um, and one, they claim that one of the reasons here is that Twitter does not have the resources to deem all the content on our platform as credible in many areas. Uh, many areas are quite nuanced and subjective. So all of this just gets more and more absurd because it's almost like a little rabbit hole of trying to figure out like what does the policy actually say and then why is there no recourse when you disagree that this interpretation of, of what we're doing violates their policy. And they, they basically say, on their, on their policy page, they say Twitter globally prohibits the promotion of political content. But looking at, and looking at the trailer, they seem to deduce that it has political undertones. So then they just encourage us to promote organically, but we're not allowed to pay for an ad. Um, and that's, that's just, as, as Jen said earlier, the problem with that is that means you don't get to reach anybody, including all your own followers. Wow. So... Twitter globally prohibits content that they and their AI bots decide is political, sensitive, and, appro and inappropriate. Um, they say that they don't assess the content in any real way, that they don't assess its credibility because uh, they don't have the resources to do so. Um, clearly, from what you've experienced, they, they don't provide genuine reasons for barring content. They have absolute power to make the policies they make to interpret them to kick you off or your or your content off without any real right of appeal basically just hanging up the phone on you if uh, when they decide that they don't want to hear from you anymore um and that's what they did uh to the new corporation trailer so obviously that got you guys really mad and it definitely got me mad too uh as one of the filmmakers um you know not to be able to get the word out about about this work that uh, that that I produced with Jennifer Abbott and and the team uh, over five years that we think is a really important message. Um, it's just so arbitrary, so frustrating, so wrong, uh, such a blatant assault on ideas, on critical thinking, on free speech. 
which is why we're suing Twitter. Uh, and my co-counsel, Suji Chowdhury, is here with me, uh, and he will be for the next few episodes as we mark the progress of this case. Um, Sujit is truly a superhero of constitutional law. Uh, he taught at the University of Toronto, at uh, New York University. He was dean of law at Berkeley. He's a Rhodes Scholar, a Harvard Law grad, a former clerk to the Chief Justice of Canada's Supreme Court. Uh, just really uh, quite the guy. And now he's practicing law in Toronto, uh, where he's fighting some really important constitutional rights and social justice cases, including this one. So, uh, hey, Sujit, great to have you on board. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you're up to these days and what drew you to this case? So um, I work in both uh, Canada and internationally. And internationally, I do a lot of work on peace processes, democracy support, uh, constitutional reform. And, and in Canada, I've developed kind of a social justice practice uh, where I advocate uh, on behalf of the rights of the disabled, uh, racial minorities, uh, women, uh, principally using the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And, uh, and so uh, when um, you asked me about this case, um, I, I jumped at the opportunity uh, because I think that the, the, the way in which uh, my clients have been treated um, by Twitter and also the way in which my clients' rights have not been protected by Canada on Twitter is um, egregious. And, uh, and this uh, case is also... Uh, an important test case, um, not just in Canada, but also globally. Okay, Suj, well, let's get into this case, and we'll try not to nerd out too much about the law, which we have a tendency to do. Um, but what I want to know first, there's this other guy who's suing Twitter. He's a former president of the United States, and he's really pissed off that he was kicked off the platform. Can you talk a little bit about how this case is similar or different than his? Sure. So I think there's a, a couple of key differences. The first is the nature of the speech at issue. So in the in the in the Trump case, the reason why uh, he was uh, deplatformed and removed from Twitter was because he was uh, spreading um, misinformation about the fairness of the American presidential election, and there was actually a concern that he might incite mob violence. And in, in this case, the speech is a core social and political speech that's completely harmless. Uh, there's no plausible way in which you could say this speech was harmful in any real sense. The, the, the second difference is that Trump brought his case in the United States and we're bringing our case in Canada. And so in the United States... Uh, Twitter has rights of private property uh, to, over its platform, and it has an absolute power uh, to prohibit speech on its platform. And, uh, and as well, uh, in, uh, in the United States, the federal government doesn't have any constitutional duties uh, to protect free speech on social, plat uh, social media platforms. But uh, in Canada... Uh, we argue the law is actually different on, on, the, on, on those points. That is, um, there is uh, a right to free speech on privately owned social media platforms. Uh, and in particular, that right to free speech uh, is the basis for interpreting contract rights that individual uh, Twitter account holders have with Twitter. And second, uh, that the federal government of Canada, which has authority over broadcasting, 
uh, has a positive constitutional obligation uh, to regulate uh, platforms like Twitter in order to protect um, the, the the basic core of free speech. And, uh, and at the very core of free speech is social and political speech that is harmless, like the trailer. Right. And so you mentioned the contract and the case against Twitter. I mean, we have two cases here. One is against Twitter. The other is, as you mentioned, against the Canadian government. And today we'll just talk about the Twitter case. Um, and uh, down the road, we'll talk about the case against the Canadian government. But the case against Twitter, as you mentioned, is really about the contract. It's about the user agreement that we all signed, and most of you listeners have signed, with Twitter when we join up. Uh, but that, of course, none of us has ever read. Uh, I teach contract law, and I uh, the first question I ask in the first class is always, how many contracts have you read in the last few days versus how many have you entered? And, you know, it's it's uh, the, the ratio is uh, the, the question answers itself. But it sounds like in that contract with Twitter, there are a few surprises. Can you talk about those? Sure. So like you just said, um, when you open up an account with Twitter, uh, you enter into a user agreement, and that user agreement it creates a contractual relationship between you and Twitter. That's actually what it says. And in that respect, Twitter's like every other uh, social media platform. So the same is true for Facebook or Instagram and so on. And there are two, there are three um, elements to the contract that are important to our case. The first is that all the advertising policies that um, you've referred to, you know, the political content ad policy, the political ad policy, cause-based advertising policy, inappropriate content, sensitive content, those are all actually part of your contract with Twitter. The contract also says that any uh, breach of contract claims you might want to raise against Twitter, you have to raise in California, in the American courts. And it says they'll be governed by American law. And, and so why that's surprising uh, is that uh, we're Canadian. Uh, the author of the new corporation, you, is Canadian. The, uh, the production company is incorporated in BC. Uh, the marketing our, our, the marketing company is and are is incorporated in Toronto, um, or, or one of them is incorporated in Toronto, and the all the other uh, named plaintiffs are in Toronto, and and basically we think that these this dispute with Twitter should be governed by Canadian law, and gov and and it should be heard in Canadian courts because it affects the rights to free speech of Canadian citizens, and so. Uh, and so this contract dispute with Twitter, it actually raises kind of fundamental constitutional questions about which country's laws uh, protect the rights of Canadians uh, when they try to use uh, social media platforms like Twitter. Is Twitter going to hit us with those? Are they going to be able to kick us out of a Canadian court because the contract says that we should be in a California court? I think they'll try, uh, but I think that, you know, I don't think they'll prevail. And, and the reason uh, is that in 2018, uh, the Supreme Court of Canada um, addressed one of these clauses, not in a contract with Twitter, but in a contract with Facebook uh, in a privacy case. And, and, and basically what the court said is that this clause, 
was not enforceable uh, in Canadian courts because of the quasi-constitutional nature of the, of the rights at stake. And so uh, we'll make the same argument uh, that uh, the rights at issue here are quasi-constitutional rights, and uh, it's for a Canadian court to rule upon them. And uh, there's no sense in which an American court could be an effective forum uh, for you to, to hear your claim. Now, just shifting gears a little bit, you know, I have to say, I do have some sympathy with Twitter for being able to bar hate speech, insurrectionist speech, racist, misogynist, anti-LGBTQT plus speech, dangerous, false news, and so on. And if we win this case, will Twitter then have to allow all those other kinds of pernicious speech on its platform? You know, not at all, and and so let me just say that we're you know we're not advancing an argument of free speech absolutism here, uh, and because uh, unlike in the United States, uh, in most countries, rights to free speech are not absolute, and governments have the authority uh, to uh, regulate and prohibit speech that is harmful, and so uh, hate speech, uh, vaccine misinformation. Uh, propagation of systematic lies about electoral fairness. Uh, there are a number of types of speech which our courts would have no difficulty in um, upholding the prohibition or, or restriction of. And, and we don't want to challenge that. What we're saying is that uh, we need to have a balanced debate. So while we recognize that, that governments have the obligation uh, to prohibit or the, or the power to prohibit certain types of speech on their platforms, and platforms do too, uh, that power is not absolute. And uh, that, that we have free speech rights on those platforms, and those need to be protected. And, and this is a straightforward case of when there is no good argument to restrict this speech. So one of the things that Twitter is likely to say is, and, and that has grounding in our constitutional law in Canada and the United States, constitutions are meant to restrict what governments do, not what private actors do. And that we're putting ourselves on a slippery slope here in, in saying that Twitter should be subject to constitutional values. Well, you know, who next? Will McDonald's be subject to constitutional values? All these private corporations uh, that um, are not technically subject to constitutional values, will they have to uh, be subject to them? Or is there something unique about Twitter uh, that makes this argument uh, have legs? So the case is, uh, a lot of the cases about Twitter. So, you know, let me just come at it in a couple of steps. The first is that uh, Twitter is a private company, and we're not arguing that Twitter should be viewed as, a, as the government. And, and Trump is arguing that Twitter is, in fact, the state. Because in the United States, they have a very rigid set of, of ways of imagining the role of a constitution in protecting rights, and it, and it requires that the, that the entity that's violating your rights be part of the government. And in Canada, uh, we don't have to. We don't take that view, right? We take the view that even uh, that private actors like Twitter can aren't part of the state. They can still restrict your rights, and they might have rights of their own, right? Twitter definitely has constitutional rights to free speech of its own. And the and so, but what we're saying is that um, the contract that everyone, every user has with Twitter has to be interpreted in light of free speech values. And with in relation to Twitter, Twitter is unique uh, because it has become the dominant social media platform for where ideas are debated and discussed. It's a place where Canadian government officials have um, 
you, you know, you have created a public, a digital public square by opening accounts and using it to communicate to Canadians and engage in debate with each other. And we're about to head into a federal election, which I think is fair to say will be the first Twitter election uh, in which Twitter will be um, a, a major arena for political party leaders to debate with each other. Uh, in addition, the speech is core speech. Uh, and so uh, that's also what makes this different. And finally, you know, basically this is an, a California corporation applying American law and it's trying to govern Canadian free speech policy. And, and that's got to be wrong. And so, the, so there are all those reasons uh, that make Twitter unique. But Twitter is, for example, is not like a newspaper. Uh, Twitter is not like a TV network. Uh, Twitter is a platform. It's not a channel. And as a platform, it has certain types of power uh, that make it subject to unique duties, we argue. Well, that's great, Sujit. Thank you for, for all of that. Um, I want to turn back to the plaintiffs, uh, to Jen and Kat, our, our Davids, to the Goliath of Twitter. Um, you know, Jen, it's, it's really a big deal to sue Twitter. Uh, why are you doing this? Are there some larger issues about social media platforms you're trying to get at here? I have been very active on the internet um, for uh, a long time, since the dawn of Twitter and, and um, Facebook, etc. And, you know, there was initial euphoria, excitement about the potential to connect with people, um, to uh, be able to form communities. Um, it seemed like there, the possibilities were endless about what could be done on these platforms to connect and, and, and change the world. And what we've seen instead is that uh, the platforms have been used for, in some cases, nefarious purposes. It is a suit about ha placing some limits on what the platforms can actually promote or not promote. Um, and that is, that's an issue. You look at what's been happening on Facebook, with um, uh, uh, things like the Rohingya and uh, areas where information has been used in ways that it shouldn't. Um, and so that kind of restriction, I think, uh, across big tech is, is coming. Uh, this is probably one of the first steps. And, and Kat, same question for you. Why are you taking the fight to Twitter? What, what for you is the larger significance of this case? It rankles me, and it has always, that uh, it's impossible to get any traction with organic on social. Uh, as Jen was saying, in the beginning of the internet, it was a lot more possible, and you saw it being used in all kinds of ways that excited people who had not had a platform before. But it's been a long time since organic was allowed to flourish, which leaves us, those of us who have based our business on promoting social causes and social issues, it leaves us in a bind. We have to advertise or we can't get any visibility. We, we can't choose to just not advertise and, and do our jobs. So we started Cool World specifically as a do-good advertising company so that we could build up the collaborative capacity to help out not only the films we take on, like the new corporation, which we're deeply involved with, but also any films that our other platform users take on and we naturally assumed that if we're paying for the ads to promote the film, as we were hired to do, you know, that was going to bring us visibility, which is what, what our job was to do. So now the truth is, when they refuse to sell us those ads, we have to fight back. Um, it's just patently unfair for us to be censored in this way. But of course, not all our clients 
include constitutional lawyers who are willing to take on that fight pro bono. So this is this is exciting. And the bigger issue is not just, oh, you know, Twitter censored us. It's because we are doing this promotion for the new corporation and for our other clients to benefit um, not only the, this film, but other films. And so our collective rights need to be protected, which means challenging Twitter's policy and Canadian laws around this. So I don't think we have any other choice but to fight back, and we're, we're fortunate enough that we have lawyers in our on our side for this. But, I mean, Kat, I mean, do you remember Percy Schmeiser? He was the uh, Saskatchewan farmer who sued Monsanto over GMO seeds, and there's a reason movie about him called Percy with uh, Christopher Walken playing uh, Mr. Schmeiser. Um, but anyhow, he, he lost the case, and he was nearly destroyed by Monsanto's claims for legal costs, which every court said he had to pay until the Supreme Court said he didn't. So that was his big victory. That's the big moment of victory in the film is he loses the case, but he's not personally destroyed because the Supreme Court of Canada says he doesn't have to uh, pay the legal costs of Monsanto. But you're kind of in the position of Percy Schmeiser. You're at risk of something similar happening, and there's no guarantee you'll be saved by the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, Twitter could come after you for hundreds of thousands of dollars if uh, the case is lost, and uh, I'm wondering how you're preparing for that. Well, I do remember Percy Smyger, and I also remember the story that was in the, the, the first film, The Corporation of Jane Acree and Steve Wilson from Fox News, who were the Fox whistleblowers who uh, ended up being fired because Monsanto went after them after they exposed their bovine growth hormone, hormone issue, which really touched a nerve in that first film. I think the line about the pus in the milk really got people. So Monsanto tried to sue them, and and uh, I guess it's a good thing we're, we're suing Twitter and not Monsanto. But seriously, um, we do need to, to raise an insurance fund to make sure we are protected from these adverse cost claims, because yeah, we're not a big, huge, wealthy, uh, publicly traded corporation ourselves. We're a small, small incorporated company that has a social cause mission. So just like we we um, helped out Jane and Steve with the first film, we ended up uh, having a fundraiser for them at the launch of the corporation in San Francisco at the sold-out Castro Theater, which was an exciting night. It was a long fight for them. So like Percy, they, they ended up um, they never got their jobs back at Fox, but they ended up not having to pay the insane amount Monsanto was trying to sue them for. So, you know, those of you who think that we have our David and Goliath case here against Twitter and want to support the new corporation in becoming visible with its ideas to the world, uh, we hope you will donate to our cause. And we do have a GoFundMe Twitter Gone Rogue page. You can find all the links to our fundraiser on the newcorporation.movie site. We've already got a first $10,000 in the kitty and a pledge from a donor to match the first 50000 we raise on GoFundMe. So if all of you out there even contribute a little and we get to that 50 k mark, it'll be 100 k right away. And we, have to, we think we have to raise about 500000 to cover the potential uh, um, adverse costs. So please support us if you can. Excellent. Um, okay, well, so Jen, um, do you think you're going to win? I do. I, I think that uh, the ingredients are all there. Um, and in particular, the fact that a company is 
out of San Francisco deciding what content is going to run uh, for Canadian consumption on the Canadian version or the to the Canadian audience is is ludicrous and when you extend that it's even more ludicrous I think the case is fantastic we certainly have the right legal team to argue it and I'm very excited to see how it moves forward and Kat what do you think like what would you say what would you want to tell people is sort of the most important thing you need to know about this case I think the most important thing is it is about free speech and a level playing field there should be the ability to get your word out through these platforms. These platforms are what we need to use. And, and you know, making an aside too, it's like this, this idea that, you know, we're doing advocacy and product ads aren't. I think all advertising is advocacy, some more capitalist than others. And those of us in the idea promotion business, which, which is what documentaries specialize in, we need to be able to reach audiences. And so obviously we need people to hear about our documentaries. So Twitter should not be allowed to censor any of us by restricting our reach, especially when we are willing to pay. And our film, trailer, and ads do not promote any kind of hate. Quite the opposite. We are promoting hope. Hope to get out of the messes that capitalism, colonialism, and corporations have and are still creating. So I think that message is what we're fighting for because right now it is not a level playing field, even if you have money to spend on ads. Well, that's great, you guys. Thanks, Kat. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Sujit. And thanks to all of you for listening to the Unfortunately Necessary podcast. We'll see you next time.